Hello, brothers, sisters, and friends. Welcome to the You Are the Current Resident podcast. This is the official podcast of the National Association of Letter Carriers, the union that represents 280,000 active and retired city letter carriers employed by the United States Postal Service. I'm Ed Morgan, and sitting next to me is our national president, Brian Renfro. Hey, Brian, how are you? Doing great, Eddie. Glad to be with you again. So I know right after this, you're headed out the door. Where are you headed to? Our brothers and sisters in Chicago, in Branch 11, are having a rally, really, to get the word out to the media and kind of inform the public about some of the crime, the robberies, the difficulty that we're having with that. So just to raise awareness. So I'm going to fly out there this evening and uh, take part in that. We'll have several members of Congress there and a, a lot of media coverage of it. So hopefully that'll bring some awareness to the issues that are going on there in Chicago and uh, can replicate that in some other locations. Looking forward to seeing our good folks there in Chicago. Tell at least I said hello. Will do. So this week, we want to get into questions about HIP, the Heat Illness Prevention Program. Let's just get started. Here's some questions I came up with. If we don't answer the questions that I uh, should have asked that I missed, you can always reach out to our Ask the Mailbag segment at social at NALC.org. For those of our listeners that don't know, what is HIP training? So HIP, as you mentioned, stands for Heat Illness Prevention Program, and this is a program, a plan that the Postal Service has had in place for a few years now, and essentially what it's designed to do is include several different elements that should protect workers from the hazard of extreme heat. The plan that's in place, that the things that are there are a piece of that plan are certainly important, but there are things in our view that, that are missing, and, and we may get into a little more of that as we move through this. But just on a basic level, I, I think it's pretty evident. Uh, it's actually scientific fact that the temperatures go up every year. So the hazard that in uh, the majority of the country we face every summer, uh, that letter cares face in terms of working in the extreme heat, as it continues to grow, um, there's a diligence that's required in order for us to be safe. And this is the program that the Postal Service through a lot of different areas, you know, working with the Occupational Safety and Health Administration, OSHA, which is part of the Department of Labor, and, you know, dealing with us directly over the years has been a result, and it's a program that's in place right now. Can you give me a little history on HIP? Sure. For a long time, the Postal Service did not have a national HIP, and if we rewind about 10 years and go back to 2012, 2013, somewhere in that time frame, we began to see an increase in the number of letter carriers that suffered from heat illness. And, you know, unfortunately, over the years, we've even had a few deaths as a result of heat illness. So I mentioned OSHA earlier. They began to issue citations against the Postal Service where you had employees, some rural carriers, but mostly city carriers, that suffered from heat illness as a result of the work they were doing every day out on the street. And the Postal Service, in some of those cases, uh, did not take what OSHA viewed, and certainly NALC viewed, management, mostly at the local level, did not take the appropriate steps that they should have to protect those employees from the hazards of extreme heat. So there is a process internally where OSHA brings citations They have a litigation process where OSHA attorneys essentially prosecute 
these citations against the Postal Service in front of what's called an administrative law judge. And OSHA has a number of those. We call them ALJs. The first one that they prosecuted that we were pretty deeply involved in was out of Independence, Missouri. And there was a settlement reached in that case that the Postal Service would come up with a plan that would apply to Independence. Because this affects, of course, our wages, hours, and working conditions, Article 19 of our collective bargaining agreement gives the union the right to negotiate over such things. So in order for them to design that plan, they had to negotiate it with us. Back then, I was uh, the director of city delivery, and I, along with my counterpart at the time at the Postal Service, we did negotiate a plan for Independence, Missouri, that just applied to that installation because that was what OSHA told us to do. So over the years after that, there have been a number of other instances of OSHA filing citations, and they decided back, I think, around 2018, rather than issue citations and try to, quote, prosecute each of these cases individually, that OSHA would group them together, and their goal was to push the Postal Service into a place where they had to develop a national heat illness prevention program. Without kind of nerding out and going in in depth on all of the litigation that took place that we were involved in with our attorneys, I testified in a lot of those proceedings. OSHA was not successful. However, the Postal Service did decide, I think just based on the fact that this had been a recurring issue, obviously a lot of conversation and pressure from us and collective bargaining and other areas, that they would develop a national HIP to protect employees. We worked with them. You could say in some sense that it's a negotiated agreement. There are pieces to that that include things like training at the beginning, which is very important. There are other pieces of information that has to be posted in different places. But the education piece is really most important. So that's a little bit of a brief history of how we arrived at the current HIP. But as I mentioned earlier, there are elements that really are accepted by experts in this field broadly that are missing from the plan. And we continue to this day to work to incorporate those, be it through OSHA working with our the folks over at the Department of Labor. Um, this is something I've spoken to the Secretary of Labor about and just recently you know, had a conversation with her about this. And ultimately, our goal is to achieve a plan that is comprehensive, that indeed protects our members from the hazards of excessive heat. So what was the Postal Service supposed to do with this training this year? Yeah, so as I mentioned, a key element is actually an entire section in the plan. And if you want to read the the HIP itself, you can go to our website, NALC.org, go to the safety and health page, and you'll see a plethora of information there that uh, Manny Peralta, our director of safety and health, has put together on not just excessive heat, but all types of extreme weather. But in particular, this plan is there. An entire section is devoted to training and education. So every year, by April 1st, every city carrier and manager is supposed to be trained on the elements of this HIP. This is crucial, not just because, you know, of course people need to know about the plan itself and, and, you know, whose responsibilities are are what, all of that type stuff, but it's also important for on an individual basis for our members to understand the symptoms, to understand the warning signs and the things that they can look for if they're out there working in excessive heat. Because what we've seen in a lot of cases where we have folks that suffer from heat illness is it's the type of illness that often before you understand or realize that you are becoming ill, it's too late. You're already past the point of mitigation, let's call it, where if you were to recognize those signs, 
you can take breaks, you can get into a shaded area, an air-conditioned area, obviously drinking water. I mean, kind of common sense things, but the body doesn't always feel it unless you're aware of what those signs are. So that education piece is, is very important, not just for the plan in general, but also for the individual just to understand what they should look for and if they begin to feel a certain way, the steps they should take to protect themselves. So shockingly, it seems that the USPS didn't give this training or even maybe even falsified giving the training. Do you want to get into that at all? Yeah, so we began this summer, as I'm sure a lot of you that are listening, just becoming aware of of folks either, as you mentioned, A, not receiving the training, or in some cases where maybe some in a particular work location did and others didn't, and and then also going in and looking at our training records and indicating that people had the training that did not. Because that information is really anecdotal, you hear it from a, several locations, but it's a really big country, we began to gather this information. Each of our national business agents, they've got a list of all the work locations for city carriers within their regions, and they're, they're currently working with the branches to just indicate whether the training training was done, yes, was it not done, no, or in the instance I described, if it was partially done, and put all that together so we can have that here at headquarters, give us a clear picture of, and and then go compare that with the folks over the Postal Service to what their records show. I suspect there'll be a pretty (laughs) large discrepancy there, and um, if indeed that turns out to be the case, we'll know the scope of it. And we'll be in a better position to address it. I will say that they are aware <laughs> at headquarters, the Postal Service is, that this is an issue. I think us being able to demonstrate to them how widespread the issue is will definitely put us in a position and, and them give them a better understanding of what action we need to take to correct it. Not just now, this year, but you know, as we look forward to 2024 and I think if we're able to continue to gather this information, sit down with them, that the training will look a lot different come next spring. And ultimately, that's what we want to achieve is for our members to be trained on this, for managers to be trained on this. And so they're in a better position to actually follow the plan and ultimately protect our members from excessive heat. You sort of answered us partially, but like, what are our options uh, after we do this thorough fact-finding? Yeah, there's a number of things. I mean, the first is obviously just conversations with the Postal Service over there, letting them know. I suspect that they will will be willing to address this at, at the highest levels. But there's others, too. There's our communications with folks at OSHA and over at the Department of Labor, and, and we will definitely make them aware of this. And then there's there's other possibilities. We have the ability to you know, do a lot of different things. There's potential legal avenues. There's obviously, you know, things in our collective bargaining agreement. This could at some point turn into a national level grievance if that's the direction we feel like we need to go. So there's a number of different opportunities there. Could you explain what a national level grievance is? Sure. So a national level is is in a lot of ways similar, but in a lot of ways very different from um, the, the grievance procedure at the local level that a lot of you listening to this are, are familiar with. 
They typically fall into one of two categories. Category number one is what we call interpretive issues. So those are grievances that often arise out in the field where it involves an issue of interpretation of what language in the contract means. Then there is also the possibility of national grievances sometime arise from a process that through Article 19 where the Postal Service will propose changes or the creation of handbooks and manuals that affect our wages, hours, and working conditions. And then that Article 19 of our agreement essentially says if anything that they do affects wages, hours, and working conditions, it's a subject to collective bargaining for us. So there's a process in our collective bargaining agreement where they have to notify us of proposed changes. There's a time period for us to review and discuss them, and then we can appeal them to national arbitration. That's kind of sometimes referred to as a national grievance. Then there's just simply violations that that are just contractual in nature that have a very, very broad impact. So things that are, for example, this would not be something typically that a local manager just chose to do, but you know, a recent national grievance that we have that's pending right now has to do with the security of postalese in light blue that resulted in a few hundred of our members not receiving a paycheck. That's the type of issue that we would grieve as just a, a straight Article 15 type grievance at the national levels. You know, th- there's multiple ways. This is one that would potentially could become a, a national grievance just at this hip training is out there. Article 14 on safety and health, you know, has very firm commitment really from both parties that are party to the agreement in in terms of the things we'll do for health and safety. So this could potentially, you know, turn into a a national grievance. You know, my preference uh, would be to get it addressed um, outside of that process, but if, because that typically happens quicker, but if we're not able to do that, then we certainly won't hesitate to go in the direction of a grievance if if that's what we need to do to get it addressed. I know putting the cart before the horse here, we want to get this you know solved at the easiest level possible and, and the lowest level possible, or of course in your way, uh, the highest level possible. But how do, how would a national grievance work, and like what kind of realistic timeline do national grievances have? I know we're talking in generalities here, but I know our members kind of have questions along these lines and why does it take so long or why does it take as long as it takes I guess would be a better question. Yeah they do sometimes take a while. Scheduling of national hearings for national grievances is very different than at the local level. Basically the parties have to agree of which case we're going to schedule. So currently right now we have a very small number of pending grievances at the national level probably the fewest we've had in a long, long time. For a few reasons. Number one, we've done a pretty good job over the last six, eight years, I guess, of resolving them, the ones that were pending. We did have a few that that came up as a result of the 2019 agreement. Anytime you have a new collective bargaining agreement, the possibility for those interpretive issues is there. We were able to work through each of those and resolve those. So we have a pretty low caseload. I think we only have four or five that are pending right now. But it does take longer because once one is initiated, you have a, a the scheduling process with a national arbitrator, which is different than the arbitrators you may see at the local level so, or at the regional level. So the regional level, each of our regions has a panel of arbitrators that hear their cases and there's prioritization for certain types of cases and, and those are scheduled through our NBA office working with the Postal Service every month. At the national level, we have 
currently one national arbitrator. His name is Dennis Nolan. We do not have, as I mentioned, very many cases pending. And when we solicit dates from him, he will give us a number of dates throughout the year. We have to agree to schedule that case. What has happened over the last few years is the most recent cases that we've had come up have been the cases that we have gotten the Postal Service to agree to schedule. Now, most of those have been resolved. But if we were to initiate another grievance here, we would probably be looking at dates late this year or sometime in 2024. We would have to agree with them to schedule the case. Then there's also the piece that once a national grievance is filed on an issue, any grievances that are pending or initiated thereafter at the local level, or that could be an informal A or formal A or step B, or even if they're impasse to arbitration, those cases get held for that national until that national case is resolved, be it through settlement or through an arbitrator's award. So the impact of having that national case, the time it usually takes to get them scheduled, you know, is not just with that particular case because all the other cases out there are held. Our process moves very fast (laughs) compared to uh, our sister unions, who most of them have more cases pending than we do. But it's still at the national level is just by the nature of the process and the fact that, you know, we have one arbitrator. It does mean that it, it usually you know, I won't say it always takes longer than a regional grievance, but it is usually a matter of months before we're able to, to get it forward to hearings. We certainly want to make a difference with this particular issue as soon as we can and be in a position where when we roll around to next spring, we're in a place to have a lot better uh, training conducted and get our folks educated and ultimately, as I mentioned earlier, protect us from the hazard that this plan is, is intended to protect us from. Okay, so what should every steward be doing right now in terms of their investigation for this HIP training? Yeah, just if you don't know already, find out did the training happen or did it not and let your branch or or your NBA office know that. That is the most important thing. If you have instances of your local management trying to push people, things like asking them about stationary events or telling people that, you know, they can't take comfort stops or or rest breaks they need for heat, any of that kind of stuff, that could potentially be subject of a grievance. If it's something where, you know, someone is is consistently pushed and they're not feeling well or, or unfortunately results in some type of heat injury, be sure to communicate that to your branch. Let your NBA office know that's the kind of stuff that's useful to us up here, and we've had a pretty good success rate in, in getting those things addressed. So those are the main things right now. Um, essentially, it's just doing the job of a steward and enforcing the collective bargaining agreement, but also understanding that when it comes to the heat, just like the cold, and when that's extreme in some places, that doing what needs to be done to keep our people safe. And, and the last thing is just encourage if you're a steward out there, you know, you're by nature of your position, a leader in, in your station where you work. Encourage the folks you work with, your brothers and sisters, that to be sure they're educated themselves on what the warning signs of heat illness are, what they should look for, any type of information. There's, as I mentioned, a lot available on our website. You know, you could get out to them, but you know, that would be um, something that, that you could do to help your brothers and sisters out, just to, to be sure that, that they understand what to look for and, and what they need to do themselves to avoid that hazard. And it's always a good time to thank your steward. I just want to thank all the stewards out there to do a great job defending our brothers and sisters on the workroom floor uh, every day. These guys are tremendous. Yes.
Okay, and our last question we got is, what should every member be doing in terms of heat safety? Just educate yourself. This is one of those issues where regardless of what the Postal Service does or doesn't do, regardless of what your your manager may tell you or try to push you to do, we all have the ability to protect ourselves here. And, you know, that can only come through education, you being aware of what you need to do, very simple things of taking care of yourself, like if it's a really hot day, it's too late to start drinking water once you get out there and get hot, you know, begin hydrating early in the morning and just take care of yourself. There, there's nothing that can happen out there. There's nothing that's important enough for any letter carrier out there for us to put ourselves in danger. So become familiar with the warning signs and, and you know, all that stuff, as I mentioned, is, is out there on our website. And most importantly, just take care of yourself. Great. Those are the questions I had about HIP. If I missed your question or you want to add to our question list, we always have our Ask the Mailbag segment in future episodes. We can circle back and try to answer your questions on HIP or anything you have, uh, any questions you have involving our union. You can ask our mailbag at social at nalc.org. All right. So now we're in our Ask the Mailbag segment. We have a question from Glenn Gibson. If you ever do put in your questions, make sure you leave your branch. We'd like to know where uh, from around the country you're listening. Glenn Gibson wants to know, he'd like to see training nationally for basic items, like how to file a grievance, key features of our contract that come up often, and uh, when references are made to the contract, where to find them. He just really wants to know. He's a shop steward. He wants to get more more involved, and uh, he wants more information and more training. Can you talk about any kind of upcoming training we're going to have? Yeah, so Glenn, that's a great question, and you asked the question to the right people because there's no folks around here that love training more than Eddie and I. I'm really excited about this. So we are working really hard. A number of our headquarters officers and staffers here and more of our folks out in the field that are are working with us on expanding the type of training that we create and offer from the headquarters level in 2024. That includes traditional training that we do in a classroom setting, something similar to those of you out there that may have attended your your NBA holding their regional training, or, or your branch may potentially do some training there. But to increase the number of things that we offer from headquarters level, and I think the place to start is exactly where you started, and that is with steward training that's you know basic on the grievance procedure and as well as all the other duties of of a shop steward. So this could expand into all sorts of areas. And our eventual goal is to offer training for every person that's out there, that's an activist, that wants to be involved in whatever area that is. If that's as shop steward and a grievance representative, if that's representing our members in OWCP, if that's someone that's involved legislatively and politically, if you're someone that's involved in community service, potentially doing more along the lines of the current branch officer training that we have. There's all kinds of opportunities that are out there, and we're working hard on that. And we intend to, later on this fall, kind of introduce and roll out what we plan to do for 2024 and beyond. That's kind of in the classroom setting. And another thing that I'll mention that I hope will really resonate with those of you that are podcast listeners, Eddie and I are both pretty prolific podcast listeners. Um, If you're involved in social media, is to supplement all this in-person training. We are also in the process of developing online kind of web-based things that people can do on their own through e-learning 
expanding the things that we make available through our members-only portal. So all of that stuff will all be part of this kind of rollout and the package we're talking about for next year. So we're excited about taking advantage of every opportunity we have to give. We already have, if not the most active, certainly one of the most active memberships among any union in this country. I mean, that's pretty well known around this city in Washington, D.C. And we're excited about giving our folks the opportunity that, you know, look, even if you're not in a position because of whatever circumstances to attend in-person training, things that you can do on your own to learn. So we've got a lot of really intelligent dedicated, smart people working on that stuff. And we're excited to get that out to you. So I'm sure you'll hear more about that in future episodes, but really good question. Yeah. Thanks, Glenn. Our next question comes from Jim Adcock, and he wants to know, when is this terrible legislation, the windfall elimination provision, going to be amended? He knows that Congress never likes to give us our money back, but he would really like some uh, relief for the retirees. So can you just give us an update on the WEP GPO pills? Sure. So uh, another really good question. And and for those that are listening, uh, I'll give that that may not be as familiar with it. Let me give a very brief background. This has to do with Social Security. So there are two things that are out there that are part of the existing law that came about in the the 1980s called the Windfall Elimination Provision or WEP, W-E-P, and the Government Pension Offset called GPO. In a nutshell, what these do is for a lot of retirees, in our case, civil service retirees for the most part, it unfairly reduces your Social Security benefits. It's a little bit complicated in terms of the impact on each individual. Trust me, if you're out there and you're impacted, you know what it is because you're not getting the money that um, you you, you essentially earn by paying into the Social Security system. The idea legislatively would be just simply to repeal those two provisions that are in the current law. There is a bill out there right now. It is H.R. 82. Ironically, the same number as the bill was in the previous Congress. We currently have a bipartisan majority of that Congress, of the House, that are co-sponsoring that bill, 288 of them. It is the leading sponsor on the bill that actually introduced the bill is Congressman Garrett Graves from the state of Louisiana. This was his first time leading it previously, uh, a great friend to letter carriers, uh, Rodney Davis, a former congressman from Illinois, um, a Republican, had led this bill for us for the last several Congresses. Unfortunately, he, because of a, a change in districts, he lost in a primary, so he's no longer here. But um, Congressman Graves has, has been excellent. We do have a lot of co-sponsors. I encourage you to check out our website and and go to congress.gov. If you're a member of Congress, is not a co-sponsor of H.R. 82. It's called the Social Security Fairness Act. Ask them to co-sponsor it. But I think it's important to, to point out and just be realistic about where we are in this particular Congress. The chances of passing this legislation in this House of Representatives with the current leadership in the House of Representatives I won't say it's impossible, but it certainly is challenging. This is a piece of legislation that affects not just postal retirees, but just millions of people around the country. In some cases, if, if folks worked um, and have a local or state retirement, you know, it could also be impacted. So while the prospects of getting it through this house in, in 2023, 2024 definitely have challenges, 
Uh, I would also remind you, if you think of the postal reform bill that we passed, was signed into law last year, you know, that's a piece of legislation that over a 10 to 12 year period, we worked on in every single Congress. And while it can be frustrating to work on it and get co-sponsors and build support, if you go back to, let's say, 2010, 2011, those of you that were involved legislatively and politically then, if you talked about pre-funding, people would look at you like you were nuts. They had no idea what you were talking about. Because of the work that we did, um, and by we, I mean all of our members, certainly our people here in Washington, D.C., just as importantly, if not more importantly, you know, the work that our members have done with our members of Congress at the local level, you know, educating your friends and family, you know, the media. As we worked every Congress on different pieces of legislation to repeal that pre-funding, though we were not successful until the Congress that was sworn in in January of 2021, we raised that education level in every single Congress to the point where an election went a certain way in 2020. The right leadership was in place in the House, in both, not just in the House and in the Senate, but also in the committees of jurisdiction. That's important too. And this repeal of pre funding was just the universally accepted fix. And that was not the case before. Going back to HR 82 to repeal the WEP and the GPO. Even if we're not successful in getting that done in this Congress, the work we do for the rest of this year and next year is still very important because it builds support, it raises awareness, it raises education that when an election goes the right way, and hopefully that's in 2024, the right leadership is in place in both houses of Congress, in the committees of jurisdiction, and also in the White House, you were primed to pass a piece of legislation like this. That was a long answer to a short question, but I think that's important that it takes all of us and, and we'll continue to lobby here in D.C. And based on the fact that we've already got 288 co-sponsors, I feel certain that our folks out in the field, our state associations, our letter care congressional liaisons in every district will keep working hard to educate our members and, and grow that number of co-sponsors. Great. Thank you. All right, Brian. That's going to end the show for this week. As always, I want to thank you for your time, and I just want to thank all our listeners. Thank you for listening to this episode of You Are the Current Resident, a podcast. Please subscribe to the podcast uh, so that you don't miss an episode, and please share the podcast with our NALC brothers and sisters. We do have our Ask the Mailbag segment. If you want question asked and answered, submit your questions to social at NALC.org. You can follow the NALC on social media, on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and Threads. You can find links to our accounts in the episode description. And you can follow President Renfro on Twitter at BrianRenfro19. Thank you again for listening. May your steward be by your side and your union have your back. Thanks. Thanks.